In this episode, we're going to talk about fascism. That's right, everybody. It's Enterprise Season 4, Episodes 20 and 21, Demons and Terra Prime, the penultimate story of, of Enterprise. We are so tantalizingly close to the end. Yep. But we're not there yet, Matt. We still have a conversation to have. Welcome to Trek in Time, where we watch every episode of Star Trek in chronological order, and we place it in context in history. So we're looking at things from the original time of broadcast of Star Trek Enterprise. That puts us in 2005. As I mentioned before, we're right at the end of season four, the final season of the series. And who are we? I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And with me is my brother, Matt. He is the guru and inquisitor behind the show Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to this conversation. A nice little two-parter to almost end our review of Enterprise on. For everybody who's looking forward to what's coming up on the channel after Enterprise, well, this week we have this discussion on this two-parter. As I've mentioned on previous episodes recently, viewer comments were, when you have a two-parter, do it as a one-episode shot. So we're doing that. So if you haven't watched both Demons and Terra Prime, please go revisit both of those before listening to the show. And next week, we will be discussing the final episode of Enterprise, which is These Are the Voyages. After that, the following week, we've decided we're going to have kind of an Enterprise wrap-up episode where we're going to be talking about our feelings about the show as a whole, talk about some of our favorite episodes, talk about what we thought about the structure of the show, where it might have gone, where it did go, some some big picture discussion the following week after that we'll be starting discovery so we hope you will join us for these episodes as we wrap up enterprise and then move on to the next stage of our rewatch which will be a surprising leap forward in time as we jump yes. forward to the early 2000s in finding a brand new show on a brand new app on what was effectively a spin-off of a network using Star Trek as one of its anchor shows, Discovery. So I'm looking forward to that. Before we get into today's conversation, Matt, do you have viewer feedback that you wanted to share with us today? Yeah. I mean, the last episode, we talked about Amir Darkly, the two-parter with the mirror universe of Star Trek. And Sean and I had very different takes on those two episodes. And I thought it was funny because the comments were just as divided as you and I were. <laughs> we had one from... Camilla Holst Nelson, I cringe every time an alternate universe episode comes up in Star Trek and most other shows. I am sensitive to negative energy in a show. I watch TV and movies for entertainment with positive energy. Thank you for your reviews. Sorry, Sean. I'm with Matt. So Camilla, that's okay. I, I picked the one obviously because she agreed with me, but it's also <laughs> a, it's, you know, I, I, I do, I'm in the same kind of boat. It's like sometimes I don't like to watch a show if it's a little bit of a, a little too negative, a little too mm -hmm. dour, a little too, uh, cause it's like, sometimes I'm looking for a little escape and those kind of episodes kind of make me go, I don't want to watch this. Mm -hmm. The next comments from Robert Bachhuber. I hope I pronounced your last name right. I actually love this quick story arc. It was a beautiful take on the what if of the mirror universe story. Yeah. It was unbelievable that the humans understood Vulcan tech well enough on day zero. I would like more context about how the Terran empire rose but putting myself into the dark side of human psychology and diving into the possibilities with no connection to the primary universe was fun, exciting, drove the idea of a darker universe forward. Were there issues? Oh yeah. Was it worth watching? Heck yeah. So I, that, that seems to be more in line with what you felt from the episodes right. of, it was just a fun kind of romp. Just take it for what it is. Yeah. I think that one of the things Robert touches on there is the idea of maybe over-reliance on trying to connect it to specific moments in Trek history that we would recognize. For example, by having it start with the Vulcan ship arriving and then humans overwhelming the Vulcans and taking it over, it might have been more interesting for it to be a 20 years later moment where yeah. we are given the idea that humans originally started on a positive footing with the Vulcans, but were duplicitous. It might have been better to have that moment of like, okay, 20 years went by and then the humans turned the tables on the Vulcans and were yes. able to supplant yes. and steal technology and, 
and become the leader of the that region of the galaxy. Little right. things like that that might have aided the show's I hate to use the word believability when we're talking about something as fantastical as Star Trek, but that is the kind of uh, moment that kind of like nudges me out of the frame of like, oh, I, I buy this. Mm-hmm. Thank you for those, those comments, Camilla and Robert. Now on to today's discussion. That noise in the background is, of course, the read alert, which can only mean one thing. Matt is about to drag himself through a plot summary. And as usual, when it comes to these two parters, I have had to kind of meld them together. So my mind to your mind, Matt, go ahead and hit this description, man. This is going to be a struggle. Demons and Terra Prime are the 20th and 21st episodes of the fourth season of the American science fiction television series Star Trek Enterprise and originally aired on May 6th and May 13th, 2005 on UPN. Demons was written by showrunner Manny Cotto and directed by LeVar Burton. Terra Prime was developed by Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, along with Andre Bormanis, and developed into a script by the Reeves Stevens Stevenses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it a little tricky to yeah yeah <laughs> and developed into a script by the reeves stevenses and showrunner manny Cotto, and directed by marvin rush his second his first being another second part to another director's opener set in the 22nd century the series follows the adventures of the first starfleet starship enterprise registration nx01 in demons the crew returns to earth to participate in a conference to set up a trade co- coalition of alien races while there, they discover a plot involving a xenophobic human organization called Terra Prime. This description just keeps on going. Mm-hmm. Investigations lead to T'Pol and Trip being aboard John Frederick Paxton's mining vessel. I don't think it was actually his vessel, but okay. With his xenophobic crew and the revelation that Paxton and his team have successfully created a human Vulcan hybrid. In Terra Prime, John Frederick Paxton, I like the fact they keep saying his full name. Yes, it's great. <laughs> yeah. In Terra Prime, John Frederick Paxton threatens to use an array of on Mars to destroy Starfleet Command unless all aliens leave Earth immediately. Enterprise, Captain Archer, and an away team covertly take a shuttle pod to the array and attempt to stop Paxton and rescue their crewmates. The crew work to stop the threat of the station and to rescue T'Pol, Trip, and their offspring, the cloned human Vulcan child. Woo! There you go. Was, Season four, episode 20 was directed by LeVar Burton, who we have come to trust as a strong hand behind the camera. It was written by Manny Cotto. It originally aired on May 6, 2005 and included guest appearances of Harry Groner as Nathan Samuels, Eric Pierpont as Harris, Peter Mensa as Daniel Greaves, Patrick Fischler as Mercer, Adam Clark as Josiah. Steve Rankin as Colonel Philip Green, Johanna Watts as Gannett Brooks, Tom Bergeron as the Corridan Ambassador. Yes, it's that Tom Bergeron of America's Funniest Home Videos. Peter Weller as John Frederick Paxton, the name that we are going to say in full for the entirety of this discussion. And Christine Romeo as Susan Curry. And episode number 21 was directed by Marvin Rush. As we mentioned the last time we talked about him, he had not directed. He had been the director of photography for a great number of episodes. He directed the second part of the previous two-parter that we discussed. And his approach was, I don't want it to look like anybody else directed this. I want it to be consistent. I think this is another example here that he's very successful. You would not know that these two parts were not directed by the same hand. Mm-hmm. And as Matt mentioned in his read alert this had a lot of hands in episode two the writing included judith reeve stevens garfield reeve steven andre bormanis teleplay by judith and garfield and manny Cotto. guest appearances include peter weller as john frederick paxton harry groner as nathan samuels gary graham as ambassador saval eric pierpont as harris adam clark as josiah peter mensa joanna watts as Daniel Greaves and Gannett Brooks, respectively. Derek Magyar is back once more as Commander Kelby. Joel Swetwo is Ambassador Thoris, and Josh Holt as Ensign Macero. What was the world like when these episodes originally aired on May 6th and 13th in 2005? It's going to be some interesting discussion here. I'm going to be leaning a little heavier on the May 6th aspect of this 
And the reason being the series finale, some interesting decision-making by UPN right here. In February, they decided to cancel Enterprise. They revealed later to the crew that this is what was happening. The cast and crew knew by the time they were filming these episodes that the series was over. And then at the time of airing, they had a two-parter. And then what Manny Cotto, these are the voyages, he described that as effectively an epilogue. The two-parter we're about to discuss today is what he thought was the capstone to the show, the last episode being just an epilogue. Interesting way to frame it. It helps, I think, knowing that, given that at the time of original broadcast, there was a lot of confusion as to why the final episode ends the way it does. I think that's going to color our conversation next week. Mm -hmm. But to add to the confusion, rather than air demons and Terra prime week to week followed a third week with the concluding episode, they doubled up with not demons and Terra prime. They doubled Terra prime up with these are the voyages adding to the confusion of the viewership who came to watch an episode of the finale of the show and saw the conclusion of the previous week and then a strange epilogue style episode after that. So I think it creates a lot of confusion. So our discussion in the context of when this show broadcast, I'm leaning more heavily on the first episode because next week we're going to be revisiting again what the world was like on the 13th of May. So here we are. Number one song, Matt, you know what it was. That's right. It's since you've been gone. And at the movies, the number one film during the airing of demons, the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy made $21 million. I think if you are a fan of star Trek and you are listening to this podcast right now, I do not need to describe to you what the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is. No. And on television, <laughs> as usual, we find that Enterprise tried to be the little show that could, but it's up against some heavy hitters, even on a Friday night. America's Funniest Home Videos is always going to power through, especially when it is giving away its $100,000 prize for the funniest video of the year. So they had almost 8 million viewers. There was a special about Elvis Presley on CBS that earned almost 12 million viewers. On Fox, a rerun of their sharing of the movie X-Men from 2000, a five-year-old movie at that point, earned almost 4 million viewers. Dateline NBC was getting almost 7 million with of unknown content. We don't know what they were showing, but it must have been something less interesting than Elvis Presley. That's all we know. And what I like about you and Reba continued to beat Enterprise with nearly or they they came in last after Enterprise, but with all that other competition, a show Enterprise that started with almost six million viewers four years earlier has dwindled down to roughly a core audience of just under four million. And in the news, the UK was going through a general election. Tony Blair was forecast to be the, the winner early on, but the shifting of seats was heading toward a more conservative government. And it included a member of the Irish delegation to parliament being unseated. This would be David Trimble, who in 1998 won the Nobel Peace Prize for his help in creating the Good Friday Agreement, which effectively ended the troubles in Ireland. It was the beginning of the dismantling of the IRA's military component and the introduction of peace between England and Ireland. Also at the same time, and this, I remember when this happened, believe it or not, Matt, MIT hosted a time traveler convention in the hopes of making content contact with time travelers from the future. The convention was organized by Amal Darai with the help of current and former residents of MIT's living group Pi Tau Zeta. The convention was held at two at 2200 hours, 45 minutes Eastern Daylight Time on the East Campus Courtyard in Walker Memorial at MIT. The location was given as 42.36007 degrees north latitude, 71.087870 degrees west longitude. The space-time coordinates continue to be pub publicized prominently and indefinitely so that future time travelers will have the awareness 
and the opportunity to have attended. I remember when this took place. I love this idea. And if at any point in the future, somebody is able to travel in time, I hope they go. (laughs) So on to our discussion of the episodes. We start with the episode Demons. And what we see right at the beginning is the introduction of a hybrid child, a Vulcan human hybrid. Matt, as far as an opening teaser, as far as a plot element in the episodes, as far as its big picture implications, I think we have a number of different ways to talk about this baby. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's a cute baby. Yes. Let's get that out of the way right now. Very cute baby. Also, to give us all a sense of, oh boy, that baby is now 18 years old. (laughs) Jeez. Now that we got those two elements out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to revisit what I just said. What did you think about the introduction of this baby as a hook to get people into the story? I thought it was fine. Part, like if you're a Star Trek fan, it's going to be like, wait, Spock was, you know, I thought Spock was the first one or one of the first, you know, hybrid babies. So seeing this little hybrid Vulcan baby is kind of like a surprise. It's like, wait, that's kind of breaking what I know about Star Trek. What's going on here? For the non like hardcore Star Trek fan that may not click into that. I didn't think it was probably the best hook. The hook felt like it was meant for people who are really into Star Trek and understand what's coming. Mm. Uh, so I, I didn't think it was the strongest opening, but it was very cute baby. Yeah. <laughs> what about the element around the origin of the baby? Because I had some head scratching about there's a whole bunch about the baby Sean that makes me scratch my head. One, why it's never com- made completely clear as to why they made the baby. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we're going to be jumping into the plot here, but it's like Peter Weller's character. We need to talk about Peter Weller, by the way, Peter Weller's character. Here we do. Peter Weller. Yeah. One of the, <laughs> yeah. I, I continue to, to struggle with the fact that Peter Weller didn't have a bigger career. Yeah. than he did. He seemed to have fallen into a kind of sci-fi B-level career yes. instead yes. of where I think he could have easily ended up, which is yeah. he is so fine an actor. He's really good in this. Yeah. He's the movie Leviathan with him. That's a B movie, but he is yeah. so good in that movie too. But regardless, RoboCop. Uh, yeah, of course. The whole the whole idea of the baby, he's obviously he's, you know, human purity earth first he's the trump of that era it's just okay totally understand who he is and where he's coming from why would he make a hybrid baby i i didn't i did it was not explained well of like yeah so you had to make a hybrid baby to prove that we shouldn't have hybrid babies like what what is what what are are you doing here it's it's never comes through in the text of the script clearer we as viewers are supposed to fill in the gaps as to why the baby was even made, what the point of the baby was. Yeah. It didn't make Well, the point sense. of the baby was on its ears. Oh, you go, Sean. Good night, everybody. <laughs> That's why Sean gets paid the big bucks. <laughs> That's right. It's that kind of creative thinking that leads to books like The Sinister Secrets of Singe, which will be released in June of this <laughs> year, 2023. <laughs> Well, what's your take on the, on the baby? Cause like it, it I agree it, with it, you completely yeah. about uh, they, they literally wield the baby as if it is some sort of emotional cudgel against an ignorant public. People need to it, see the nightmare that is ahead of them. If they, you know, don't do something to stop this alien incursion. And you're right. It is a, we're looking at a 2005 episode. This would have been bearing the echoes of immigration reform advocates who were saying that the American society was being destabilized as a result of influences from outside the country. In particular, at the time in 2005, it would have been a lot of Islamophobia driving the that political agenda. Mm-hmm. Anti-immigrant groups always have at their core, like it doesn't matter who it is. If it's not us, it's other. So they just latch onto whatever happens to be catching the headlines at the moment. Oh, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. people coming in from Mexico. That's the problem. Oh, Islam, 
Islam is responsible for having attacked us on September 11th. That's the problem. Like the, they're, they're opportunists in looking at like whatever other they can label, they're going to use that label. Yeah. That's on display here. It is effectively the sci-fi take of let's look at the present by putting it in the future is what's on display here. And I think that on the whole, these two episodes do a really nice job of portraying mm -hmm. an aspect of earth's politics in a way we haven't seen most of the time. And it kind of goes back to the what if ism of it all. Like what if season one had been revealing more of this as an element, as opposed to season one, we saw humans were chomping at the bit to get Vulcans to let go of the, the leash so that they could go off into the stars and right. what if part of that depiction had been humans are chomping at the bit because the, the Vulcans are holding the leash and some of the humans actively think that it is a genocidal attempt to destroy humanity. Like mm -hmm. that would have been an interesting part of this four years earlier. So it is something we haven't really seen a whole lot of. I appreciate seeing it now. I wish maybe we'd seen it a little bit earlier. I wish there had been maybe a little bit more time to develop it, but making a baby as the wait till I hold this up over the crowds and that they truly get to see the nightmare that's ahead of them. It's a cute baby. Yes. <laughs> I, like, I don't see who's going to look at that and say like, Oh my God, like you're going to go, it's Aw. got green blood. You're going to be like, <laughs> you're going to be like, Oh, look at the baby and look at its cute little ears. Like, I wonder what that baby will grow up to look like. Maybe Leonard but Nimoy. The fact that the fact that they never had him say, just come out and say it of like, we want to show pe like we, people don't think that humans and Vulcans can create a baby. Right. Like, and he may be saying, no, it is possible. And look at this horror show. Holds right. up cute baby. Uh, it's just it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But the fact that he didn't even say that in it the episode. Is, yeah. It's over reliance on yeah. on a viewer coming to it. And being able to swap out the real context from the fictional context, the real context being arguments about impurity and blood. And it just doesn't, the, the story doesn't make the leap for us. And it's a weakness in the storytelling, I think. Cause it, like even, to even say like, like, Oh, mixed races is a problem historically yes. has been an argument here, but it's not coming across in the same way in this, in this story. Yeah. I don't think exactly. But um, can we talk about Peter Weller? We can talk like, about Peter Weller as long as you want. <laughs> Peter, I was a little distracted by him in the beginning because he's so Peter Weller. Like yeah. he's like one of those actors where he's really good, but it's always Peter Weller. Like you, you're very right. aware of him. But I, I loved his performance in this, these two episodes. He is so understated. It's that, yeah. that quiet menace. Like he's, he's not chewing scenery in like the, the, we've complained about other actors on the show where they come in and they just chew scenery all over the place. Yeah. Like the last episodes, Peter back, I mean, not Peter, <laughs> Scott Bakula was just chewing scenery left and right on a uh, mirror darkly. This one, he's not chewing scenery, but he is a little over the top. But in this very quiet menace, just that yeah. deep voice of his and just the way he quietly and casually talks about everything and the things that he's saying are at times horrific yeah. and terrifying. And it's just like it made it scarier. His he, performance yeah, made it scarier. I completely agree. His ability to say like history will be the judge. Yeah. Like I'm not worried about like I'm worried about the now. I'm not worried about how it will be depicted. I fundamentally believe in everything I am doing so much yeah. so that I will do horrific things that I can objectively recognize are horrific, but it's not going to stop me. And it yeah. is, he's willing to destroy sections of San Francisco if aliens do not leave earth. And he thinks he's got the magnanimous, like I'm not, we're not going to do anything to you as you leave, just go yeah. like as if that's a magnanimous statement to make. And the kinds of arguments that are made, one of the, and I think a lot of that rests on the writing, the writing of these two episodes, I think is, is by and large, very sharp. The baby yeah. aside, I think the writing is very sharp in the form of the dialogue and the arguments that people are making. When you see the miners talking to trip about why they think things are a problem, 
the brilliance of the argument being Vulcans stood by while we tore ourselves apart during World War III. Like, that is a brilliant argument for a xenophobe to make because you cannot prove a negative. So there is nothing that can be said like, well, the Vulcans didn't even know we were here. Like, they were flying around, but that doesn't mean they were watching. Like, you can't prove that they weren't watching. So it is a self-reinforcing argument of we've lived through these nightmares. We've done all these terrible things and had all these things happen to us while Vulcans just stood by and watched. And now they want to be friends with us. Why? What is their ultimate plan? It starts to sound like the kind of conspiracy theories that we see constantly around us now today. 2005, they were brewing, but they didn't reach the fever pitch that we now experience constantly. And it's a fascinating kind of like false history that they've generated for themselves. Well, the, I think the writing was very prescient in that way. I was gonna say, this is also my favorite thing about science fiction, how they, you take, you take, you break down humanity, some aspect of humanity in a way that is a universal and you're exploring it in kind of a safe environment yeah. because it's the science fiction fantasy, but you're breaking it down and exploring it. The universal hatred of the other that's on display here is so timeless i was like watching this in the environment we're in today i was like holy crap this could have been written today yeah the fact it's 18 years ago it's like that's nuts this feels like it could have been written today especially with the name of the the movement terra prime it's like america first it's like how how much closer could you get to what's going on today here in the United States with Terra Prime? It just, it was making my mind melt a little bit yeah. of like, God, none of this stuff changes over time. It's like, this is always bubbling under the surface and just occasionally it kind of like springs up. I, I just oh, love, I just love the universal yeah. timeless nature of this. Yeah. I want to, if you, if you're comfortable with me doing this, Matt, I'm going to suggest that we kind of like fast forward our discussion of yeah. like the plot. Yeah. And then I can share some additional information about the backstory of some of this stuff that I think is really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Go for it. So to fast forward through the plot, there's this, there is this baby that is been created by the Terra prime movement in order to, as we mentioned before, like highlight the fact that humanity might not remain special in the universe. That effectively is the, the most clear distillation of their argument that I could make. And that they will be, humanity will be undone as a result of this. Meanwhile, the attempt to form what is being referred to as a coalition, we as a viewer look at this and immediately see through it as like, these are the first baby steps of the building of the Federation. This is where it's actually happening. The attempt to build a trade coalition amongst all these different species, which includes Andorians, which includes Vulcans, which includes Tellarites. These are species that have been at odds multiple times. The Regellians are involved. There's a number of different ambassadors from species we've never seen before, which I thought was a very nice touch. You get these people around a table. They're all at Starfleet in San Francisco, and they are all going to be a part of this discussion. And we see the introduction of the discussion coming from the earth ambassador who is i believe isn't that nathan samuels as he's from buffy (laughs) yeah he's been in buffy he was also uh he was also on a sitcom for a number of years with one of the actors from taxi i can't remember the name of that show now but it was we see the introduction as like here's our hope for what this conference might be and we see members of the enterprise bristling at the fact that their actions for the past four years are out of the discussion that is not being presented as a way of like here are people who have been heavily involved in making this a possibility i felt like that depiction of the enterprise crew was really kind of like out of character i didn't see Mm -hmm. them as being people who would first of all be in the room just to complain And second of all, when you're putting together a trade negotiation, you don't say, and now let's call out our pilots of the (laughs) U S air force who have been involved in like, you just don't do that. So it was like, it was a little weird, but it's obviously meant to create a story arc moment where the enterprise crew feels left out. Then there are going to be events that are going to highlight their, their necessity to making all this happen. You can kind of see that coming. It's kind of heavy handed, but 
for better or worse, that all takes place. Archer is standing there with this kind of like, we need to like do our jobs and just be quiet, but he's also bristling a bit. And then a woman shows up and effectively like gasps and shows up to say like, they're going to kill her and hands off strands of hair. When they study the strands of hair, Flocks is like this. It took me a while to figure out what was going on here because nothing made sense until I realized that this hair has DNA that reveals a hybrid between humans and Vulcans. And everybody goes, what? And then that's not the ultimate aha. It is, mm-hmm. it is to Paul and it is Trip. To go back to the earlier part of our conversation really quickly as a footnote, Matt and I talked about like, why make a baby? What is the point of yeah. that? I'll take it one step further. Why make a baby out of T'Pol and Trip? Why is that so critical to this? It even puts forward the idea, something that bears weird fruit at the very end of all of this. There's a spy on the Enterprise who's able to get their, somehow able to get their DNA. At, like, like you couldn't take just any Vulcan and human yep. and make yep. a baby. It has to be T'Pol and Trip. They have to have this connection to this baby, an emotional connection to this baby. Again, something put in for character development. We're supposed to see the two of them dealing with the reality of this and what it might mean for them. Unless this is part of the plot that was never talked about. But what if Peter Weller's character was along the lines of they were thinking, we're going to make this baby this, of these two people on the ship. And we're, it's basically going to create a whole controversy of, see, they're having a relationship and they have this baby. It's like, but they, once again, never explain that. They left so that out. They just left that out. So we now see this series of events leading, leading to this conclusion. There are scientists involved. They track down the, the, the woman who had been a part of a medical research team. They're able to backtrack her relationship to a company where there's a mining facility on the moon trip and to Paul are able to get themselves in there as if they are going to be workers in the mine and are supposed to snoop around. A lot of this is very hand wavy. It's trying to keep the plot moving forward on the whole. I'm okay with that because what we get to is then the moments of the political plans behind Peter Weller's character, the hypocrisy buried within his character by subtle revelations of a tremor in his hand. We will find out in the second episode to Paul is able to nefariously scan him and discover that he is suffering from a condition and he is receiving genetic medication, which is based on Rigelian DNA. So he is arguing about the purity of the race while also himself not following his own code. This is a tip of the hat reference back to Hitler. The entire argument being Hitler was out to exterminate the Jewish population while himself having Jewish ancestry. So it's, it's that kind of gotcha that they're playing with in this. Overall, the plot moves fairly quickly once we get to Terra prime, because by the time we get to Terra prime, Peter Weller has managed to remove his mining facility from the moon in what I thought was a kind of interesting clunky, this thing's not meant to fly and here it goes kind of approach. I would have liked a little bit more of an explanation as to why a mining facility has a warp drive. Yeah. They made Well, he made a comment about his father who designed the ship was thinking ahead of, you know, there may be a time that we have to like up and move and move to different places to do mining. So it's like they kind of did a hand wavy explanation as to why that was happening, but it was super hand wavy. Yeah. So they get to Mars. They're able to land next to a Martian defense array, which is designed to repel incoming meteorites and comets and asteroids from hitting the surface of the, the planet. First of all, interesting little tidbit about Mars that I thought was like, well, this is kind of a cool thing for them to use, but the reality of how it's depicted is comically sci-fi. It is Mm -hmm. analogous to the depiction from the later star Wars movies, episode seven, where we are shown the star killer weapon, which effectively takes the energy from a star 
converts it into a laser, which is then projected Death Star-like to destroy planets. And this is shown destroying planets at a vast distance where we know that light takes an incredible amount of time to transfer from like, not only from one star to a planet, but from star to star, like the reality of episode seven would have been, they would have fired that weapon and then maybe a millennia later, (laughs) a planet would have been destroyed. So it's like, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous conceit of that movie. The exact same thing is on display here. They are firing this Martian array in such a way that they are they are able to, within moments, hit targets. And it is not realistic in any way, shape, or form. There's even the idea of, okay, around the sun, where are the Earth and Mars in proximity to one another? And wouldn't their attack on Earth require that the right side of earth was facing the right side of Mars. It's very, very hand wavy that like there is no science in this fiction. It is Mm -hmm. just fantastical threats for the point of moving the plot forward. And again, I will go back to on the whole, I'm actually okay with that because what is important about this episode are the political ramifications of what is happening by forming a coalition. What are the political ramifications of trying to stop that? And what are the personal ramifications of discovering relations between species could be stronger? We see that on the part of the head of the, of the earth conference revealing he at one point was a part of Terra prime and describes it as I was a young, angry person. And I moved away from that because I began to understand I was blaming the wrong people for something. We see Peter Weller's character who is head first into the sand and completely creating a fictional fear about what change looks like the idea of there needing to be a pure any any space any species any race having to remain pure is questionable on its face but furthermore the reality of okay if there was a plan to destabilize humanity to the point where it disappears as a thing how many millennia would that take it's just it's just mm-hmm. a puff of dust that comes out of Peter Weller's character every time he talks, but he so fully believes it. The depiction is what's important. And I also think that for me, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts about this, the relationship between T'Pol and Trip in this episode, the revelations of what this baby means for them has very big splashes in a very intimate way. And I really like their oh, yeah. depiction of all of this. What did you think about that aspect of the story? I loved the, I, that was my favorite part of the story was the relationship between them and how it, you could tell it was pulling them together because they truly do care about each other. And, you know, as fans of the show, you're like, oh, I want Trip and Paul to be together. We're kind of seeing glimpses of that here of where they are unified in trying to protect their child that they didn't even know existed. And also how to jump to the end of the episode, which is absolutely heart wrenching. <laughs> with what happens to that baby and how they are dealing with it. And especially like, you know, when T'Pol says, we're going to call her Elizabeth, how he names, she names him, her Elizabeth after Tripp's sister who died in the Zindi attack. And then the scene with Phlox talking, you know, to the captain. Phlox about, was the one that got me. Oh, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> At that, it's like, it's like your heartstrings are getting pulled all along. And then Phlox has that closing sequence where he says to the captain, I thought this would be a fun little jaunt, a diversion. And I didn't realize I was going to get a whole new family and his feeling of loss of the child. How he said, it feels like I've lost my own child. I was just like, Oh, forget about it. Here come the waterworks. This is (laughs) too much. It's like, I thought, I thought for Knowing that now what you brought up, how this was looked at as the season, the series finale, this was it. It makes a lot of sense because this show gave everybody their chance. Everybody got their little, it's like Reed had his moments, Mayweather had his moments, Hoshi had her moments. Everybody got a little bit of a storyline, something to do in this, in these episodes. Yeah. But then with the whole trip to Paul, Flocks, Captain, like mix up by the end it was just oh my god it was it was hitting every heartstring you'd want pulled in a yeah. series finale for the characters that you've grown to love over the course of those four seasons 
Yeah. And that's where I think that we really need to end on is by saying like how yeah. much Kodo viewed this as the final episode. And yeah. it really does do a terrific job of giving you all those moments. You get to see Mayweather. First of all, they introduce a backstory with Mayweather where he's actually considering leaving Starfleet and maybe being and, and staying in one place because of a relationship that might be rekindled having returned to earth. The woman that he's involved with turns out to be working for Starfleet intelligence. She has to present initially as if she's part of Terra prime, but when she reveals her actual relationship to the experiences of all this, it turns everything on its head and it becomes confusing to him. And I love the writing for him and that he gets to have that hero moment of flying a shuttle effectively powerless, safely landing it on Mars. You get to see the hero moment yep. of that and you get to see him also have the emotional connection to this woman and challenge himself with, should I stay? Should I leave Starfleet and stay? And then ending with the, but I don't know what to do. I loved that whole sequence. I like that we get to see Hoshi have a command moment and she mm -hmm. holds her own. She has to stand up to somebody who comes in throwing political weight around saying like, I'm in charge of this whole thing. She's like, no, I refer to my chain of command and she just holds the line and she will not back down from that up to and including delaying to the last possible second, blowing up the weapon the Terra Prime is trying to use. I love Reed having to dip his toe back into the Sector 33 yep. waters, a reintroduction of something that if the show had continued could have borne more fruit. And the yep. way they depict it is that he's able to get the respect of the person who's been using him up to this point. He really yep. shows up and, and Reed is able to get information and guidance as a result of his own ability to stand there and say like, look, this doesn't mean I'm working for you again. This is, this is not what's happening. So I yeah. like all of those moments very much. And, and I agree with you. Flox's line at the end is just devastating. And it is really a beautiful capstone to the idea of family and what the show was supposed to do. It, it is wrapping a nice bow around all of that. The show ends with the strange revelation of like, oh yeah, there was a spy on enterprise. That's how we got the DNA. And so they quickly <laughs> introduce a character we've never Kel seen before. Kelby's the punching bag again. <laughs> yeah. Kelby once again is just, is just, you know, in his cabin and people show up and they're just like, you son of a bitch. You gave him the DNA. He's like, somebody faked this signature. This isn't something I did because I was taken off that assignment when trip returned. And I'm like, poor Kelby. I mean, how long you is it going to really take don't for like me. how long is it going to take for his request for a transfer to go through? Because yes. you know this guy is writing everybody he knows. Like, I got to get off this ship. They friggin' hate me. <laughs> yeah. So after that, he's like, "Well, it was Ensign Massaro was the one who might have done that." And so we're introduced to a character we've never seen before, and we're introduced to him in the form of him stopping Captain Archer with a phaser at a turbo lift looking very threatening, having a mental breakdown and saying, please tell my parents I'm sorry. And then he kills himself. Woof. Like that yeah. just felt like, oh boy, that came out of nowhere. Like, yep. You got to have a hero moment for a traitor. So the hero moment is suicide is a really yeah. strange twist. And I didn't quite care for that. But then we are given the final moments of the coalition where the aliens who are in attendance are beginning to question, is Earth ready for this? This is a familiar refrain. Is Earth ready for this? And we see Archer give effectively his Captain Kirk at the end of Star Trek VI speech of don't let the mistakes of the few override the hopes of the many and what this can represent. And Archer gives... And Bakula gives, I think, a very nice performance of this speech mm -hmm. of of saying, like, we have the potential to do something that could change the galaxy. Don't miss out. And I thought it was a really nice nod to the change of temperaments and relationships that we see Ambassador Saval, who at the beginning of the series was the you guys aren't ready to go anywhere. He's yeah. the first to break out into applause and then followed by everybody else. So it's very reminiscent of the end of, 
of multiple Star Trek movies where Kirk is given the opportunity to say, and here's why we're heroes and everybody applauds because they're heroes. And so we have that moment here and it is a, it is a touching send off for the crew and for each individual member. And I think it does a really great job as a finale, even though it wasn't officially the finale of the series. And we know yeah. we have an epilogue coming. So some of the backstory I wanted to talk about really quickly is around the character of Colonel Green. We see at the beginning of the story of demons, Peter Weller's character is watching a recording of Colonel Green. This is effectively no different than if he had been watching a video of Hitler. Colonel Green is a character from the Star Trek lore originally entered, originally introduced in the original series in the episode, the Savage Curtain. Colonel Green was a despotic military leader on earth who operated from the early 21st century until after world war three. He was known for the motto overwhelm and devastate and was notorious for striking at his enemies during treaty negotiations as originally displayed in the savage curtain, his savagery led to the extermination of millions of people. They put a little bit more detail into it in the episode demons where they revealed that he was taking those who might be suffering from genetic mutations as a result of the nuclear war that was world war three in the Trek universe and exterminating them in order to keep humanity pure. So it is a very Hitler like message and the character is intended to have that kind of shock value to really set Peter Weller's motivations into a bad light. He's not watching. He's not seeing a scientist say, well, if humanity keeps going down this path, it's going to lead to complications in the future and diseases we might not be aware of and blah, blah, blah. This is not about science. This is about rhetoric and fear. Yeah. And so it is using him as the depiction is why he shows up. But here's the part that I thought was really fascinating. Originally, Manny Cotto intended to use Green as a villain in the Augments storyline. He was working on that story and he said he wanted to do something very harrowing with Colonel Green. He was determined to get him into the show. He had trouble fitting him into the Augment storyline because it then began to tie that character not just to World War III, but to the eugenics experimentation that would lead to Khan. It, it began to tie a lot of threads together that Kodo wasn't sure if he wanted to tie them together. I think big picture, it's good that he didn't, but Kodo was having a hard time fleshing everything out. And then Brent Spiner let everybody on the production side of Enterprise know he was interested in doing something as a part of the show. And so that's when he created the character of Eric Soon for Spiner mm -hmm. and replaced and swapped that out. And he said, Kodo was quoted as saying for a little while, he even toyed with the idea of letting Spiner play Colonel green bullet dodged. That would have been so confusing for viewers. I can't even imagine like how long he would have entertained that idea. And then there was even a point where he was considering letting Peter Weller play Colonel green. And instead he developed into this later iterative of John Frederick Paxton, where he was then sort of a, a fan of Colonel green. I ultimately right. like the inclusion of Colonel Green as a source of the othering for Weller's character. Yeah. I like the the linkage to that. And I think that on the whole, this linkage to this kind of backstory works better than the augment storyline, where yes. it felt a little too like, okay, this is too many things that feel shoved together for fan sake, as opposed to letting something grow out of fertile soil. This feels like fertile soil where the augments feel a little forced. What do you think about those two? When you compare the augments with this storyline? I agree with you. It's like this one for me, it held together better. It made more sense. And it, I think part of it also ties back to what we were talking about earlier. There's some universal truths to the underlying hatred of the other that play out better in this storyline because it, we're going through it right now, Sean, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, we're seeing this happen where like 
there's some big strong man that comes out and does something which is kind of horrific that ends up seeding the future generations that will lean on that person's what they establish as a foundation of hate to Mm. do something even worse so it's like we're watching that we watched that on play in World War II. We're watching it on play right now in the world we're in at this moment, which is yeah. terrifying. But it's, it's for me, that's part of the reason why it resonated better and it held together better because it, it felt more real and authentic for what we are experiencing in our actual lives where yeah. the augment storyline was, I don't know, it didn't, it, it didn't quite hold together. It didn't feel connected in the same way. It didn't feel connected. Yeah, I agree with that. Before we sign off, Matt, is there anything you wanted to share with the listeners about what you have coming up on your main channel? Just, we took a short break, so there's not going to be an episode the week that this episode comes out, but coming up, there's going to be episodes on the top home batteries that you can get for your home. And uh, episode one that I find fascinating is the immense, the immense size of wind turbines, just how large they are is kind of mind bending to wrap your head around. And we're putting them and floating them on the ocean. It's like, how do you, how do you take a basically a skyscraper and make it float in the middle of the ocean? It's kind of, it's kind of trippy. As for me, you can check out my website, seanferrell.com, or you can look for my books wherever you find your books, the public library, your local bookstore, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any bookseller of any size. And if you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever it is you listen to this. Go back there, leave a review. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to support us by sharing us with your friends. And if you'd like to directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show, click the become a supporter button. It allows you to throw some coins at our heads. The bruises will heal. The podcast will get made and we appreciate the support. And when you do that, you automatically become an ensign, which means you are signed up for our spinoff show, Out of Time, in which we talk about anything that doesn't fit within the confines of this show. So we talk about other Trek, some Star Wars, other sci-fi, fantasy, whatever it is that passes our fancy. We have a conversation coming up now where we are going to be talking about, I believe, The Mandalorian and a 1970s movie that was an influence on the creation of the movie Glass Onion. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening or watching. We'll talk to you next time.